You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a podcast by The Local made possible by our members. We are recording on Thursday the 20th of April and we've got a packed episode for you this week covering everything from the wildcat strike among Stockholm's commuter train drivers to the latest political implications of Sweden's spring budget. We'll also be chatting about Swedish words that sound funny to non-English speaking foreigners and exploring alternatives to Swedish for immigrants classes for those looking to learn the language. And finally, we'll get some insight from our guest today on how foreign Foreigners are leading the charge to unionize workplaces in Sweden's high-rolling tech sector. I'm Paul O'Mahony and I'm joined today from Malmö by Richard Orange and here in Stockholm by James Savage and our guest Sen Kanner. Welcome to the podcast, Sen. Thank you. Can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, why you came to Sweden and what you're doing here? So I'm from Israel originally yeah. and I came to Sweden for a lot of reasons uh, about four and a half years ago. The main one, if you can believe it, is the weather. Okay. Um, <laughs> We've I'm, never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a winter person. I wanted somewhere cold and dark. Sweden fits. <laughs> Certainly does. <laughs> yeah. So I I love it here. You know what I do during Swedish winter? I look outside the window and I'm like, oh, this is so pretty. That's, that's all I do. <laughs> I'm having a great time. I'm like, oh, it's, it, there's a snowstorm. I'm going out for a walk. <laughs> Brilliant. So this this nice weather is very disappointing then. Yeah, I'm gonna be miserable now. For <laughs> like, I'm I'm not kidding. I'm happy for you all. Enjoy. But yeah, I'm I want to hibernate. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'm working in Klarna yep. right now, and I've been there for the whole four and a half years okay. I've been in Sweden. And I am doing a lot of things there, and one of the main ones is being the chairperson of the Union and Club board. Great. And yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you later about why you wanted to unionize at Klarna and how it has gone down with colleagues and management. And feel free to jump in on any of the topics we talk about before then. Uh, how about you, James, Richard? Are you ready to get going again after the Easter break? Yeah, damn right. Um, I only had the I only had those four days off. Um, not having kids, I saved my holidays for a time when everyone else isn't going on holidays Clever. and pushing up, pushing up the prices. So, But it was nice. How about you, Richard? I took a full 10 days off and went to West Wales and managed to get my kids to climb a very small mountain, which I was quite impressed by because they're normally <laughs> reluctant to do anything like that. So, yeah, but it was it was lovely. I feel absolutely revived. Great. Well, good to have you back in Sweden. And did anyone watch the uh, TV investigation last night about alleged Russian spy ships in the Baltic? I missed it. Yeah, I did. What was it like? Well, I mean, I mean, there was this really dramatic clip that Danish TV put out of them coming up to this research vessel that was in the Urusund mm. just offside Malmo. And they come up and there's all these troops with like, they look like Russian Marines with like machine guns. And, and that didn't seem to have made the Swedish um, edit because I thought that was incredible. But it was really fascinating, like how many fishing vessels, research vessels, Russian ships that purport to have sort of peaceful purposes. Mm. 
And these ships that have been moving around in the Baltic with their transponders turned off, what's the fear? I mean, why are the Nordic countries worried about this activity? Ah, well, they could be putting things on internet cables so they could listen in to crucial traffic. So one of the places was in Svalbard, where I think there's a important internet cable and they were worried that that's what they were up to and also they could be putting in place a sabotage uh, perhaps in advance perhaps something they could Mm. trigger remotely when they want to in the future and you know if they could say for example do what happened on on Nord Stream they could cut off Norway's gas pipeline to Europe which would cripple Europe's energy systems I mean they didn't go through the details of what people are worried about but it's just something that intelligence services in Sweden and Norway and Denmark are very aware of Okay, we'll see how this uh, develops. James, congratulations are in order for you. You are the new chairman of the Swedish Magazine Publishers Association as of yesterday. I am. Can you tell us a little bit about what the role entails? So the Swedish Magazine Publishers Association, or Sveriges Tidskrifter, as it's more often known, represents most of the magazine publishers and a lot of and, and a number of website-only publishers, a lot of on, online-only publishers in Sweden. And it's very Swedish in the sense that the magazine industry, including some of the big players like Bonnier, which is one of the big big uh, media companies in Sweden, Aller, which is a big uh, Danish media company with mm. a strong presence in Sweden, they work together very closely on ensuring good conditions for the media industry so that we can continue to be competitive. And and, and so they're they're working on lobbying government, lobbying the European Union, also having a dialogue with the big tech companies, which Mm. affects everything that um, people in the the, the companies in our industry do on a day-to-day basis. So we're we're talking about, you know, Swedish press subsidies and how those um, affect the magazine industry and how the fact that the magazine industry and and independent online publishers have to an extent been excluded from press subsidies Mm. uh, from press subsidies and we think you know if you have press subsidies they should be available also to those kinds of publishers too so we look at those issues but we but you know we also we're also looking at digital digitalization and and how even smaller publishers can thrive in a digital era and understand what's happening with with google and with and with facebook and and, and other companies and how those things affect us and you know with new new subjects like AI coming up there are an awful lot more things that we that we're going that we're going to want to talk about so it's about working together to promote the interests of the industry as a whole in the interests of democracy and free speech because ultimately the press is one of the big uh, guarantors of that those questions are super important did you ever imagine when you co-founded the local back in 2004 that you'd be a swedish media industry bigwig almost 20 years later <laughs> no really didn't it really didn't but it's it's i think it's i think it's really exciting that a, that a publication like the local that represents a completely different niche to those that most of the swedish magazine industry represents mm. that someone from a company like ours can be representing the magazine industry mm. and a publication that's online only so we I'm, I'm really i'm really pleased i think it says a lot about how the industry has developed and, and you know what the local has achieved over the last few years. Definitely. Um, Great. Well, let's get on to the news now and we'll start with the economy and it's been a bumpy ride to say the least for the new government who've had to contend with a serious slowdown since taking the reins in the autumn. And this week, the Moderate Party Finance Minister Elisabeth Svantesson presented her first Vårendringsbudget or Spring Amendment Budget. Can you fill us in, James, on some of the most interesting bits? Well, there was one clear overriding priority in this budget and it was fighting 
inflation. Yeah. So it was a very restrained budget. No question of throwing lots of money all over the place, tax cuts or more spending. There were no big giveaways. So only 4 billion kroner in extra spending. Right. And if you compare that to the spring budget last year, then the government put, the previous government, mm. put 31.4 billion into extra spending. So, yeah. so it's, you know, it's a tiny amount. And of of that spending, 720 million kroner was for targeted support for the poorest households mm. and 600 million kroner, unsurprisingly, to defence. Right. And where Sweden has to increase its defence spending massively over the, over, over the next few years with the, with, with the goal of getting up over 2%. Also, 300 million for prisons and probation, um, which is obviously a big priority for the, for the current government, mm. law and order. And 100 million for providing Swedish lessons, SFI, for Ukrainian refugees. But there was no extra help for local councils, mm. um, which funds schools and healthcare, among other things, and are struggling with inflation. Yeah. So that was that's obviously painful for them. Although um, Elizabeth Svantesson, the finance minister, said um, she was aware they would need more money in the future and hinting it might come in the autumn. Okay, so it sounds like it was quite a grim budget compared to last year's spring amendments. But how does it play politically for the biggest parties? Well, it's interesting because in one way, obviously, it's nice for any government to be able to throw around money. But in another way, I think it can play reasonably well for the moderates and it can play well for the... so, In a sense, it can play well for the Social Democrats because, you know... What the moderates like to do is to talk about the economy, to portray themselves as as, as responsible caretakers of the national finances. Right. Um, and this enables them to do that. And it gets them off the Sweden Democrats' turf of law and order and, yeah. uh, and, and, those, and those kinds of things and, and immigration. Um, and so now they can have a debate with the Social Democrats where the, mo- well, the moderates are saying, look, we've got to fight inflation, we've got to, we've got to hold back on spending. Yeah. Um, and the Social Democrats kind of enjoy it as well because they know look these are the moderates these these moderates are cutting spending mm. for and it's and it's and it's hurting the most vulnerable or it's hurting local councils so in a sense it sort of plays well for the two big parties in Swedish politics. Um, what or what the, two of the three big parties? Exactly. This, what, about the the, what about the third big party, the Sweden Democrats? How do they fit into this? Well, it sort of leaves them without an awful lot to say this is not on their territory you know they did get they did get some stuff of course for law and order which kind of plays okay for the sweden democrats mm. but ultimately this is not a particularly helpful budget for them but you know the moderates can quite reasonably point to the times we're living in and say well yeah but this is this is how it needs to be okay thanks james and we'll make sure to add a link to the show notes to an article we have explaining how the spring budget will affect people's finances Now, earlier this week, we asked our social media followers to give examples of Swedish words that sound funny to foreigners. And Richard, you've been looking especially at words that people with native languages other than English have been sharing with us. Can you give us a few examples? Well, I think one of the things that I had had no idea about was that fika, which is such a huge part of Swedish Mm. culture, is is like a minefield for Italians (laughs) and, and the Spanish because fika itself is a sort of euphemism for the sort of female genitalia. And karka, which is what you eat, 
means kind of poop. It's kind of a child words for poo. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I had no idea because I've always focused on, you know, the, the, the English ones, of which there are many, which English people find funny. But one of the, the nice things about the responses we got was you got the ones from people who aren't speakers of English about what's weird in their language. And the other one is uh, in Stockholm, there's this shopping centre called Kungens Kurva, which is named <laughs> after where a king crashed his car. It means the king's bend, where he crashed right. his car like 50 years ago or something. But in Polish, kurwa, is like the most common and also kind of one of the harshest swear words going, which means, again, a woman's uh, genitalia. <laughs> and uh, and but, but Poles say it all the time, as I'm sure anyone who's spent any time around Poles will know. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and, and I suppose those are the main ones that, that came out from, from, from readers. Do you have any, Sen? No, I, I literally learned about the Italian fika last week. <laughs> so that was awkward. I've heard that the Swedish embassy in Rome has to tell all newcomers you can't invite people for fika. (laughs) 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 Which, uh, first lesson you get, I guess. Are there any Swedish words that you all found particularly funny as a foreigner learning the language? I mean, the thing that the thing that I found maybe not funny but weird is glass ergon, which is, just means glasses. Which, which whenever I see it, I just think glass eyes, and I just kind of think, what are they selling glass eyes? And, and it's taken me years to. I know it's a bit. It's a bit of a weird. It's a bit of a weird thing. But there's a, there's a sh- an old one of these old like 1950s era shops that's never kind of adapted its decor. It's got this glass organ and huge thing. I just think glass eyes. I have now pretty much got over that. And, and then obviously there's the normal rude ones like full fart framort. I always find quite amusing, which means kind of full speed ahead. But obviously fart means means fart. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, there's fart hinder as well, which is a speed bump, which just I find kind of childishly amusing. I also like that. But those those very literal Swedish words that, you know, whereas English will often, you know, take something from Latin. It won't sound that literal but say like vegetables it sort of mm. it comes from a latin latin origin it just but in sweden it's grön sock green things that's a grön sock it's like, it's like oh it's so cute there were quite a lot of english ones that the readers came up with which had never which I'd never hit. And one of them was Bugnads, which is the name for the Builders Union, which sounds a bit like Big Nads, which means <laughs> big ball, big ball, basically. And I never thought, I, you know, I've been writing about Bugnads for years and it's never struck me that it's uh, kind of funny, but now I will never unsee it. So every time I interview someone from Bugnads, I'll be sort of going, Arr. but, um, and the other one is a uh, Finger Marie Biscuits, which I'd never thought was odd, but uh, uh, I, I think we might cover in a future article. But also mm. slut. I mean... Slooped. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the classic. Yeah. Yeah. When you see it when you see that in like huge signs on a on a shop window, yeah, it's quite hard. It sort of <laughs> strikes you. My mother and sisters were visiting a few years ago and we were walking through Stockholm and they burst out laughing when they looked at a restaurant called Rolf's Cock. <laughs> <laughs> Rolf's Shack. Rolf's Shack. Yeah. Rolf's Kitchen. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Great. Yeah, no, it, was, it was fun reading that this week. And we'll link to a couple of articles in the show notes featuring more examples of Swedish words that make foreigners chuckle. Uh, before we move on from language, Richard, uh, I know you've also been looking into alternative avenues for learning Swedish away from SFI classes. What have you found and how do these alternatives compare to traditional SFI classes in terms of teaching methods and materials? Well, I think, I mean, I think we've got to, I, I, I don't want to be, because ch- SFI, is, it's amazing that Sweden, mm. like, gives you free Swedish lessons. It's a fantastic resource for anyone coming to Sweden, but it's not for everyone because I think it can be, for a start, a lot of people aren't eligible. It can take a long time to get signed up for a class and 
it can be overcrowded and the teaching standards aren't always great. And you're only guaranteed 15 hours a week, which a lot of people find a bit too slow. You know, they want mm. to learn faster. So that's kind of where I felt it's worth looking at alternatives. But I mean, one of the ones I looked at is there's these Studieförbundet or study unions, which are run by basically Sweden's political parties. So there's one run by the Social Democrats, one by the Central Liberal Parties, one by the Moderate Parties. But by far the best one for learning languages, I think, is Folkuniversitetet. Yeah. It's very established. They've got their own Swedish textbooks. They've got their own sort of design courses, courses which can be run, you know, all over the country. And and that's what I've mainly used myself. And I think the big advantage over SFE is you can just pay your money and start class the very next week. You know, it's very easy to sign up to. But in terms of the standards, I'm not sure they're necessarily much better than SFE. But one advantage is that because you have to pay a fee, the students are self-selecting. So you kind of end up with a more educated class that moves a bit faster. Mm. One of the things with SFE is it is streamed into people who've done secondary school, like gymnasium level, but it doesn't stream everywhere for graduates. So as a sort of highly skilled person coming to Sweden, you might find it frustrating that you're not sort of with people who've been to university and it can move quite slowly. Mm. So Folk University tends to move a bit faster, but I'm, but you know, I've had really good teachers and also some really bad ones. So I think it, it, it can also be variable. The other one I looked at, which I think is highly recommended, are the one-year intensive courses that all the big universities lay on. I think if you're coming to Sweden, you want to stay for the long term. Mm. That way you get straight to university-level Sweden from scratch over a year. And I think once you've got that base, it's it's a real strength to enter Swedish life, to already be pretty much fluent. So yeah, I think that's something that I looked at. And the other one is some of the private courses, which there aren't that many in Sweden compared to, I mean, if you're in Italy or Spain, or there's millions of language schools, yeah. or like, you know, hundreds of language schools, and there aren't so many in Sweden, I think because of SFE. But one I looked at was there's one called Grow Internationals, which offers group courses for expats, you know, tailored to companies and business people. Mm-hmm. And that's I think it has a really good reputation and small classes and they sort of focus very much on the language you need for the job that you're going to do. And that's in Stockholm, Gothenburg and Uppsala. And then in Malmö, there's a a new school called Communicera, which also I got a lot of recommendations for from people I talked to about it, which is it's quite expensive, but it has a maximum of seven students in a class and it's, it's very kind of high end. The aim is to get people to a high standard quite quickly and then there's one called Swedish Express which is more for people who want to come to Sweden to just learn learn Swedish on a holiday okay and that that's got a good reputation it, it lays on Swedish courses in places like Gotland Orland and holiday areas like Oren Abisko in the far north that's pretty much it it's it's up on the site if you want to have a have a look okay brilliant yeah we'll link to it in the notes really good tips there um how about you Sen? how's your Swedish it's it's going <laughs> I'm very much a learn by watching TV person and Swedish TV is very boring <laughs> to me and there's not a big selection so I've been struggling not gonna lie but I'm getting there I'm getting more and more uh, exposure to Swedish every day but so. your workplace is an English speaking workplace right yes yeah. it is but it's it's definitely but I think you know for a lot of people that's definitely the right approach though to sort of watch tv and do it that way because you you absorb so much and it's and you, and you learn it in a really conversational way and i think for a lot of people if you just if you really if you really throw yourself into it you can you can pick up quite a lot absolutely i mean that's how i learned english i didn't learn it at school i just watched television for two months non-stop on summer <laughs> vacation 
<laughs> and I became pretty fluent. Yeah, amazing. So that was the plan to do with Swedish, but I did not have enough Swedish things to watch for two months in a row. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe if anyone can recommend some amazing shows for Sen, <laughs> please do. Please not salty them. <laughs> Please. How many times have you watched Soul Seedan now? I didn't. It was the first thing that was recommended everywhere. If you're learning Swedish, watch it. I put on the first episode, everyone speaking ridiculously fast. Half of it is in Danish. <laughs> I was like, no, this this is not a good idea. It didn't work for you. I've actually never watched Soul Seedan. I watched the first series a long time ago, but never since. But very popular. Very popular. I shouldn't diss it. It's a long time since I saw it. Very popular, yeah. yeah. Have you watched anything good recently? Any good Swedish series? I watched Handel Sevid Vatten, which I think we've mentioned on the podcast. That was yes, really good. That was really good. Sort of a, a kind of a murder drama with lots of weirdo hippies living in a commune in northern Sweden. Yeah. It was kind of a bit freaky and they were sort of, it was all a bit cult-like and it was good though. Really enjoyed it. And and they speak proper Swedish there, no Danish. <laughs> Thank you. What else was good? Um, Snabakash. Have you seen Snabakash? No, I have not. So it gives good insight into the Swedish gang crime situation as well. I thought, did you watch that? No, I haven't watched it actually. I mean, it's a classic. It's based on a classic book by Jens Lapidus, isn't it? Which yeah, loosely based. Only loosely based. Yeah, okay. but I think I think he was involved in the in the production as well. But it's not so it's not so close to his original book. Very current, given everything we've been talking mm. about in this podcast and elsewhere. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Let's turn now to the major public transport disruptions in Stockholm this week after commuter train drivers went on a wildcat strike in protest against what they say are worsening conditions. Can you tell us more about this, James? What sparked the strike among these drivers in Stockholm? Yeah, well, they were protesting against the removal of guards from Stockholm's commuter trains. So Mm. these are the trains that cover quite a large area um, from about Uppsala in the north to about Södertälje in the south. If you're if you're familiar with Paris, it's a bit like the RER. Yeah, um, so it's the Pendle Torg, yeah. It's the Pendle Torg. About 70 drivers walked out. What was interesting about this, though, is it was an, a wildcat strike. It was an unauthorised strike. Mm. So that means there was no official vote on it and it wasn't recognised by any of the unions. Mm. Indeed, you know, the unions, CIRCO, which represents the, the train drivers, told them that they had to get back to work. Yeah. 
but they didn't. And so there was an awful lot of disruption for commuters in Stockholm over, over, over the last few days. We're saying that at the time of recording, the drivers had returned to work. So that's Thursday morning. So we'll see if, if there's a repeat of this. Have they said they're considering going back out? From what I've seen, they're, 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 no, they are, they're, they're not planning to go back out. They say they've made their point. <laughs> but we'll see if, if, if they're not listened to whether they change their minds. But so far, it looks like they're going to go back to and work. And how did, how did commuters respond to the disruption? It was a mixture. I mean, you did hear quite a lot of people being quite sympathetic. Quite a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, I, I think it's good that there are guards on the trains and yeah. I feel more sa- I feel safer when there are guards on the trains. Obviously, a lot, more, a lot of people were also extremely irritated by it because it caused a lot of delays. It meant a lot of people missed meetings and um, doctor's appointments and goodness knows what else. Buses were laid on, but they were, very, you know, they were obviously very crowded. Other forms of transport were very crowded. So there, were, there, there, was, there was a mixed response. And I think what was interesting here is that these strikers had very little official support. We've talked about Seiko, the union, didn't support the strike, was fact, in fact was, was, was officially opposed to it. But also the, the county council, which is the authority for the Pendle Talk, they're run privately by a company called MTR, which is owned by um, the Hong Kong Transport Agency, so ultimately the Chinese government. But um, they, they, they run under the, under the auspices of the county council. Yeah. Now, both the previous county council, which was centre-right, and the current county council, which is now sent, which is centre-left, have said that, that they support these changes um, to 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 the to the system. Mm. The, the social democrats and and uh, the social democrats and the left parties changed their opinion after the election, but now they, they now they are in favour of removing the guards. Yeah, so, that's kind of at the heart of it, isn't it? Because the drivers feel betrayed by the social democrats who said that they would back them. Absolutely, absolutely. But now, from the official side, there's very little. There's very little support. But also what's interesting about this is that the fact that you've got a wildcat strike is undermining potentially, and this is what this is what a lot of commentators have been talking mm. about. That it's undermining the Swedish model. You know, in the Swedish model, you have um, collective agreements between the unions and the employers, and those those are decided over a period of time. If something is not negotiated in those collective agreements, it's not covered by those collective agreements, then the employer has the right to make decisions in that area without consulting the unions. And this was not regulated in those collective agreements. And, and what, what the unions say is that what the system says is that if there is no breach of the collective agreement, then you don't go out and strike. You as a union and as a member of a union have an obligation. You're something called Fried's plick. You have an obligation not to carry out industrial action. So there are some people saying, well, you know, this here, the, these, these strikers are breaking the Fried's plick. Yeah. Um, and that's also why, you know, Circo as a union itself cannot go out there and support the strikers. No, exactly. As I understand it, the current agreement elapses at the end of this month, so it's up for renegotiation really soon, which maybe explains as well why Seiko have been so irritated, because it does undermine their bargaining because position. Because it undermines their bargaining position. They, they're, they're saying, you know, look, go back to work and, we're, and, uh, and, and don't mess with our negotiations. Mm. Exactly. And what about commuters? Are they entitled to any compensation? Yes. Travellers in Stockholm can receive quite a lot of compensation. So you can get up to 1,315 kroner for the cost of a taxi journey or from another another kind of transport company, or even for use of your own car if cancellations of SL services mean you risk being more than 20 minutes late. Now, they have also laid on buses. Right. So if you you can't you you can't just sort of say well I, I don't want to take the bus, I'm no, going okay, to take okay. a taxi. You know, you have to it's only in in the event that perhaps you can't get on the bus or, or that, that alternative is not available so, for some that, reason. So yeah. that'll, yeah, if, if that alternative is not available. So you do need to check the small print before you take a taxi and think you're going to get the money back. Right. Um, have you been affected, Sen? No. I, I live in Okresberia, 
Right. So I do not use the pendle tug, so I've not been affected at all. Phew. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't either. Actually, I haven't but either. we were we were in the office on Tuesday, and out, looking out our window, we could see a long, long queues for buses for people trying to get out to the suburbs that are on the commuter rail line. It looked miserable. It looked really miserable, yeah. But I do wonder whether, you know, the, the, the increasing opportunities for many people, at least, to work from home uh, makes these transport strikes, transport strikes in general, a little less effective than they used to be. Yeah. Um, fewer people now are affected than they than, than they would have been even a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, a neighbour of mine worked from, from home because of the strike, and I'm sure a lot of people have, have done that and been able to do that. One thing I did notice, cycling to work, I've been cycling to work all through the winter, and I was basically had the roads to myself in November, December, January. Then you start to see a few more people coming out. It, it's been absolutely packed on the cycle paths this week. The most traffic I think I've ever seen just, you know, because that's that's the alternative. It has been, been absolutely wonderful cycling weather as it well. It has. Great. Well, thanks for that roundup and we'll post a link in the notes with more information on the Stockholm rail strike, which, as you say, is now is now over. But we have an explanation of what a wildcat strike is and, and what it entails. And it's really interesting. Uh, before moving on to Sen's journey to becoming trade union club chairman at Klarna, we'd just like to thank our members for supporting us as an independent news outlet. The local relies on the support of listeners and readers like you to continue producing quality journalism about Sweden. If you can't afford to join, that's no problem and you'll continue to be able to listen to the podcast. But if you do have the means, we would really appreciate it if you'd consider becoming a member of the local. And if you do, you'll get unrestricted access to in-depth explainers on navigating life in Sweden, as well as the latest news, analysis and some member-only newsletters. It's very reasonably priced and we'll post a link in the notes to our current offers. Now, Sweden is famous for its strong trade unions and a tradition, as we were talking about, of compromise between employer organisations and unions has meant that industrial action is rare. But the country's much-vaunted tech industry has not seen anything like the same levels of unionisation as other sectors, a fact that came to the fore last summer when one of the biggest tech companies of them all, Klarna, where Sen works announced it was letting go of 700 workers. In a parallel development, trade union club leaders at the company were pushing management to sign on to collective bargaining agreements. And we've seen a very similar development at Spotify. And we had some articles last week about that process that we'll link to in the notes. But today we're going to focus on Klarna and how the unionisation process began and how it's played out. So thanks for agreeing to talk to us about this, Sen. And can we start at the beginning? How Well, you told us how long you've been at Klarna, but when did you join your union, Unionen? So straight away, when I came to Sweden, I was very prepared. I had a to-do list of things to do. Right. Uh, number one was get a job and number two was join a union. Mm-hmm. So I always knew right from the get-go that I have to join one and Union and being the biggest white collar one was uh, an easy choice. Okay, and what motivated you to start organizing for a union club at Klarna? Were there like specific issues that you were hoping to address? So honestly, there wasn't much, and this isn't something that I sought out to do. Right, I sort of stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. We had a members meeting to elect the club. Yeah. 
and I heard about it a very last minute mm-hmm. and I joined in as a member. Okay, so you weren't you weren't the driving force behind it at all now. Not at all. But it looked like we weren't going to have enough people mm-hmm. in the board to start a club. Right. How many people do you need? Five. Right. So on a whim, I put my name in thinking, well, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> What do I possibly need to know in advance? It'll be fine. I just really, really wanted the club to happen. Yeah. And a great decision. And why were you so enthusiastic about um, getting a club off the ground? Why did it mean so much to you? It just felt very right. Mm-hmm. It felt very right. I thought uh, I always think that employees should have the option to impact their workplace. Yeah. I saw only good things and benefits coming from this. I think organizing is always the right thing to do. And how did your colleagues react when you started talking about unionizing? Was there support right away or did it take time to build momentum? There was definitely a lot of support from the people that we've talked to. Mm. And generally, from the beginning up until now, the overwhelming majority of employees that we talk to are extremely, extremely supportive of yeah. unionizing and of getting a CBA. So it's been great. There's definitely been a really hard shift in last spring. Yeah. When the reorganization happened, that actually kick-started a much bigger wave of support. If you can give us a bit bit more background about Klarna in Stockholm, I mean, how many people are employed there and how many of those are unionized? Well, right now we are about 2,500 employees in Sweden. Yeah. And we are a majority of unionized members. Right. And that wasn't the case last spring before this all happened? No, it wasn't. We were at about 25%. Right. It was really hard to get to recruit new members with the rate that Klarna was growing. Mm. So it felt like for every member that we would recruit, there were two new people joining the company that weren't union members. What's the makeup of the company like? I mean, how many of the employees are foreigners and how many are Swedes? That is a good question. I do not know. But uh, there are a lot of foreigners But there, But there right? are a lot of foreigners, yeah. yes. So they're coming at this from a sort of an angle where they're not maybe super aware of the Swedish model. And did you find that you needed to educate people on this? Absolutely. Most of what we've been doing has been educating people. Mm. You have, on the one hand, a lot of immigrants and a lot of expats yeah. that don't know the Swedish model at all. People who come from countries where unions aren't a thing at all. And then on the other hand, you have a lot of Swedish people that are very young. Yeah. So they are also not familiar mm. with the Swedish model. So it's it does happen on occasion that I have to tell a Swedish born and raised what the Swedish model is <laughs> and what is the union like in Sweden. That It's is interesting, yeah. I guess brilliant. this is something that was second nature for Swedes in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but that interest has sort of dropped off in the last couple of decades, yeah. Yeah, also it's not as prevalent in the tech industry yet, so it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, exactly, and that's that is shifting at the moment. And Richard spoke to Henry Smith from Spotify last week, and I know you've had a lot of contact with him as well. Have you been sort of helping each other out in this process? Absolutely. Extremely. It's been very, very fun to collaborate with Henry and with Spotify. Yeah. And we're trying to, or we are 
kicking this momentum across the entire tech industry right now in Sweden. Yeah. So we're only going to have more and more companies joining us. Okay, so you are talking to other companies at the moment or union Absolutely. clubs in other companies. Absolutely. Can you tell us which ones they are? Are they any other big ones? No. <laughs> I cannot tell you yet. I thought that might be the answer. One question that that I find I'm really interested in is it's it's, uh, it's so interesting that in a country like Sweden where unionization is such a core part of the Swedish model that it's you and Henry Catalini Smith who are pushing the tech sector towards unionization. I wonder why haven't Swedish tech workers been doing that? Why is it taken foreigners to push the tech industry in this direction? I think just most of the people who work in the tech industry are often very young. So they might not be as experienced and as motivated to kind of push for these kind of processes. Whereas I think when you have a lot of people who are a bit, um, have a little bit more different life experiences, then they're a bit more ready to kind of take these challenges on. Yeah, so if you go back to last summer when the company announced it was getting rid of 700 people, you were one of the people offered redundancy while at the same time representing your unionized colleagues. What was that period like for you? Well, I was on vacation. I was moving within Stockholm. Right. So it was a very busy, stressful week for me before this even started. Mm. But yes, it was uh, it was very hectic. I did not get much sleep, but I'm very grateful for all the help uh, yeah. that I had from other board members and from other employees who were supporting us and, and helping us educate people and support everyone and make sure that everyone had the option to make an informed decision. Mm about the offers that they were given. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that it must have been like a really sort of earth-shattering experience for you. It doesn't sound like you were used to being in the public eye. You you hadn't imagined that you would be the, the chairman and suddenly on a whim you decided to go for it. And last spring and summer, you were interviewed across the Swedish press. So suddenly you were very much in the public eye. How difficult has that been? Easier than I expected. <laughs> okay. You're a natural. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been a hobby model for a while. So I've been feeling very, very confident in mm. front of the camera. So that part has not been as complicated. I have stage fright and I really don't enjoy public speaking. I've been doing it a lot yeah. uh, in order to eventually, hopefully someday enjoy it. Yeah. So it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm really, I feel really privileged and honored that I get to represent so many people. And I just hope that I'm doing justice by them. So what, what do you see as being the main benefits of a collective bargaining agreement for employees? So the main benefit, in my opinion, is communication. Uh, it's the ability to impact. It's more transparency from management on decisions. Yeah. It's the co-determination act in the CBA. So it's essentially the option to actually influence your workplace. Even if you can't always actually veto any decision or necessarily get in the way mm -hmm. of any kind of decisions, just the fact that you are able to give input from early on and make your voice heard, mm. I think that's extremely, extremely important. And you're trying to convince your employer as well that this is a benefit for them. What are, what are the benefits for the employer? Oh, there are a lot. In Sweden, I think a, a big part of it is it's become a luxury stamp to have a CBA. 
If you go on LinkedIn and you look for jobs, companies that have CBA would always have it highlighted in their ads. Other than that, it can be very cost efficient, especially if the employer joins an employer organization, which is essentially like unionizing, but for companies. They get legal support with reduced fees. They have better options for employees when they do redundancies. So there's a lot of different kind of benefits that are attached to joining an employer organization. Mm -hmm. There's like a very long list of benefits. Yeah. How did the CEO Sebastian Simatovsky respond to this attempt to unionize? He seems to not understand where it's coming from so much. And the general answer that we're getting from Klarna and from him specifically is that the employees haven't been interested in this. Mm. So they haven't asked for a CBA. That was the answer we got back in 2020 when we started. Mm. That was the sentiment that he expressed during the reorganization in, in May last year. And that seems to be how management feels right now as we start negotiations. But of course, I am representing a majority of employees in Klarna who are interested in unionizing. So we just need to make our voice heard. And that's what we're doing right now. And some of the newspaper reporting around this last year suggested that he was anti-union. Do you think that was fair? I think it felt very hard not to see it that way sometimes when most of the people in the company who were being actively unionizing have been the ones offered a settlement offer or given a buyout. So it felt very difficult not to feel targeted in that regard. So I understand where the media was taking this from, but it was nothing outright It was very, very difficult time. And where's the process at now? Are you moving closer to a collective agreement? Absolutely. So we have officially started negotiations for a collective bargaining agreement. So I'm very, very excited to see how it goes. Great. Thanks very much, Sen. Thank you. Great to have you here. This was lovely. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Uh, Please share the podcast with anyone you think might like it or on social media or give us a rating or a review if you can. All of these things help us get the word out so we can keep bringing you these episodes. And thank you for listening. Our guest today was Sen Kanner and you can hear more from her interview in a bonus episode that we'll release early next week. Our panellists today were the locals James Savage, now also chairman of the Swedish magazine Publishers Association. You don't have to say that every time. I've got to say it every time now. I'm just going to embarrass you repeatedly. And uh, Richard Orange, Dan and Malma and our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul Amani and we'll be back again next week with a new episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.